0: Everybody, thank you for joining us tonight. This is our Friday update, and I have to tell you, we have a pretty spectacular guest, Matt Staver, who has argued before the U.S. Supreme Court, won cases. He was also the dean of Liberty University Law School, and uh, he is an amazing attorney, a wonderful friend, and he's got some insights because he's been defending some of the churches here in California that uh, the governor's going to have to make a decision on, and Justice Kagan is part of that, and Matt's going to give us an update. In addition, uh, midnight on Wednesday, I think it was, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 5 to 4 in regards to uh, churches in New York, and Matt's going to give us an update in regards to that and how it affects us, and especially for all of our local churches here in Ventura County, including us. what does the governor have power to do and where's he overreaching and what are we going to face as a state and how strong is the First Amendment? These are all questions that Matt's going to help us answer or at least look into and have some insight. And in addition, I'm going to ask him some questions in regards to what's going on in Georgia and Pennsylvania uh, as he has the legal mind to be able to discern kind of what they're facing and how laymen like us can figure it out. So, we're in for a treat, so stick around. Here we go. Please welcome my dear friend, Matt Staver. Hey, Matt. Good to be with you, Rob. You too. Matt, uh, you probably heard the introduction. You, you you know what it is we're 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 looking towards, what we're pushing for. Uh, as you know, uh, and you've been helpful with, with our legal team, you know we're up against it here in Ventura County. We've gone before the judge. They've got a, a emergency temporary restraining order. We're getting fined every Sunday. Uh, they've put us in the perpetual purple zone. We haven't had a death in our county in over 14 days. I I haven't checked today, but as of yesterday, Thanksgiving, we haven't had a death in actually over 14 days. Uh, Hospitals aren't being overrun, ventilators are plenty, but we've been doing unbelievable amounts of testing. We're supposed to average 150 tests a day in Ventura County, but the medical officer has been pushing all the physicians to test everybody. So we're, we're pushing 500 tests a day, which is far beyond the number necessary. And that, of course, that's giving uh, positive results, not positive cases, but positive results that keeps us in the perpetual purple zone, which is destroying our businesses, shuttering our churches, keeping kids out of school, devastating our community and our economy, emotional uh, consequences. All, all of the things that we're facing are, are awful, the psychological ramifications. Matt, you know, and no. and now you're, working in California, defending uh, Pastor Che On and over a hundred other churches, I believe. And with this ruling, I think it was midnight on Wednesday, uh, with that ruling, the five five to four ruling at the United States Supreme Court in regards to the churches in New York, uh, how does that affect California? You're on the cutting edge. Your case is going before Justice Kagan. Uh, Fill us in, Matt, if you would. Tell us your insights, how that affects us as a community, all of that, you you got great insights. So please take it over.
1: Oh, well, thank you, Rob. And it's always good to be with you. And uh, you are an inspiration to me and so many other pastors all over the the country and frankly, around the world, your story of courage, of standing against these unbelievable restrictions. You know, I said earlier this year that I'm very careful about using the word persecution because we work with persecuted Christians around the world. And we've seen, we know what real persecution is, where people lose their businesses, their lives, their churches are shut down, they go to jail. And so we've always had, you know, we've had discrimination in the United States and we border on persecution in some cases. But I think what we've done this year is crossed the line from discrimination to persecution. And when, when you're in a state like yours and in a County like Ventura, where you are located and so many other churches throughout California, And it is criminal up to a year in prison for attending church, even two people meeting together in a church or even having a Bible study or worship in a condo, apartment, home. And that's criminal. I think we've crossed the line from discrimination to persecution. So these cases should be very simple. Back in 1947, the U.S. Supreme Court in the Everson case said that the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment means at least this, that the government cannot force someone to attend church nor stay away from church against their will. And that's exactly what we have happening. So what happened on midnight, the Thanksgiving Eve, at the U.S. Supreme Court is a welcome relief. It's a 5-4 opinion. It's what's called an emergency injunction pending appeal. It comes out of New York. It involves uh, some Catholic churches and dioceses and some synagogues. And in that particular case, they don't have as bad of restrictions as what we have in California. They're bad, they're awful. I think all of these restrictions against churches are unconstitutional in terms of micromanaging how you can worship, when you can worship, how many people you can worship in despite the size of your building. I think all those are unconstitutional. But California by far has the worst restrictions of any state has had Since uh, these no worship zones, the so-called tier one or purple zones that you're in, and so many others, this case out of of New York, five to four, it's a great decision, and this is because of Justice Amy Coney Barrett. She was part of the majority, and uh, Roberts dissented, but he didn't have Ginsburg to give him that fifth vote, so he's now in the minority. And these justices not only ruled on the high bar that you have to cross for an injunction pending appeal because you're asking the Supreme Court to jump in while the case is on appeal and make a decision that is going toward the merits, whether your likelihood to succeed is high. And consequently, it's a high bar. So not only did they jump that hurdle, But they actually made some significant comments about the merits. In fact, Justice Gorsuch, in a concurring opinion, says it is time. No, it's past time Uh, that we uh, ultimately, you know, address this. And in no world can this occur like this. And he can't fathom any situation where this would occur in the United States. And so it's a strong opinion. Now, uh, Rob, as you know, we represent... Uh, Harvest Rock Church, and that's in Pasadena. It has several campuses uh, in the LA and uh, Corona area and other places in that region. But we also represent Harvest International Ministry, which has 162 churches throughout California and 65,000 worldwide. Right. So about 170 churches all together, and they're in all the different uh, areas throughout California. Harvest Rock is in the same tier one or the so called purple zone that you're in no worship.
0: We have a letter 90, 90, 95% of the state now, because exactly. of Governor Mussolini, is in the purple zone, arbitrarily. But not where the French Laundry restaurant is.
1: No worship at all. It's just unbelievable. So, um,
0: you're uh, good. Okay, we're good.
1: It's yeah. unreal that we, uh, we have no worship there for most of California. But here's where we are. Uh, a week ago, we filed an emergency injunction also with the U.S. Supreme Court pending appeal. On Wednesday afternoon, before Thanksgiving, it goes to Justice Elena Kagan because these circuit courts of appeal, one justice is assigned to each one for these emergency motions. On Wednesday afternoon, she issued an order to Governor Gavin Newsom to respond. And that response is going to be, by the end of the day, Eastern time, 5 o'clock on Monday after Thanksgiving. And uh, after that, we'll file a reply Monday night or Tuesday. We should get the week after Thanksgiving next week a ruling from the Supreme Court. And I'm very optimistic about that. We have the best facts as it relates to the most egregious situation in California of the entire country. And they've already tipped their hat as to where they're going on these injunctions, which means if we get a 5-4 ruling, which we could possibly even get Roberts or some other justice on this, and I'll explain why. And that is, uh, if we did get at least a 5-4 ruling, that's not only going to affect our 170 churches, it's going to stop Newsom, and it's going to benefit your situation, also John MacArthur, all the churches throughout California, and put a stop uh, to this dictatorship that uh, Newsom has implemented.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, what I was alluding to earlier—I don't know if you caught it—but he, he puts us in the perpetual purple zone with these, uh, you know, unattainable uh, metrics. Yeah. And and then he goes out and enjoys, you know, dinner on the taxpayer dollar with twenty-two people, shoulder to yeah. shoulder, no masks, uh, 15000 $15, thousand dollar bar bill, Matt, and and it's a three star Michelin restaurant. And it was on our dollar, and he's laughing at us. And, yeah,
1: he's laughing.
0: And, and the tyranny and the hypocrisy, you know, I, people are getting sick of it. And the churches are suffering. You know, our, I sent you a copy of the letter from our local churches who, you know, they have, they have been doing their best to comply. And, and they haven't been, they're not, they're, they're my friends. They haven't spoken out against me. Um, they haven't taken the course that we've taken, but now they've put together an appeal to the supervisors asking if they take them out of the purple zone into the red zone, because we're in, we're in uh, November coming into December, and they're making a meet outdoors. It, it's unconscionable, and these churches yeah. are are dwindling and struggling, and their budgets have been devastated, yeah. um, and, and I sent you a copy of what they were requesting. Can you maybe help out some of these local pastors, these congregants, and not just here in Ventura, but across the state, really how to approach this if, if, if from a, an attorney's perspective?
1: Rob, I looked at the letter, and uh, what they are proposing to the governor, I would strongly recommend that they not do. They are proposing to be subservient to the government. They're proposing that churches register and that they get approved, essentially that they come up with a particular plan and that they do all these other draconian acts. And if there's one person that is supposedly traceable to the church, then I assume that that church would stop meeting. One person. Now, you know, we're litigating in other places as well. For example, in Colorado, the public health office there of the state says and it's true everywhere. You cannot definitively determine the origin of COVID because people go to grocery stores, they go to big box centers, they go to restaurants, they go to work, they walk, they do all kinds of things. You have no idea where someone contracted COVID. There is no possible way on earth you can definitively say they contracted it at this church or some other place. And so if some government bureaucrat wants to close your church under that proposal that these pastors are doing, they can say, well, there's one person that tested positive or was in contact with someone who tested positive, and therefore your church closes. That's not the position of the church. In fact, that sounds more like what happened in communist Romania. We represent some pastors from former communist Romania, and they've been there, they've done that, they've seen how the government wants and sometimes how pastors want to negotiate with the government and compromise, and it never works. They ought to be doing a very strong stand like you're doing and so many others are, are doing around the country and certainly even in California like Pastor Che. Uh, but they should not do this letter. I strongly counsel against it. And by the way, they're wanting to go from Tier 1 to Tier 2. And they think they're going to be okay in tier two. Well, tier two is 25%, but no greater than 100 people, no matter whether you have a 5,000-seat sanctuary. Now, when you get into tiers one, it's no worship, but you can go to a laundromat for several hours, and there's no social distancing or other kinds of requirements there. You can sit in the laundromat for hours. You can be in other places uh, for hours with no requirement on numerical numbers in tiers two and tiers three, you get into uh, places where those tiers would be gyms and you get into theaters and you get into um, museums, family entertainment centers, destination centers, swap meets and so forth. And in every one of those tiers two and three, there is no numerical cap on those. So, there is a numerical cap in tiers one of zero. In tiers two, 100. In tier three for churches, 200. But when you get into tiers two and three, there's no numerical cap for these other places that I've mentioned. And these are places where people would gather. Right, in fact, right. you know, if you're going to be, uh, Rob, uh, feeding people, if you want to shelter them overnight in your church, You have no numerical cap on that. If you want to feed them uh, the hungry, no numerical cap. If you want to engage in secular counseling in your church, such as helping people find unemployment, disability benefits, no numerical cap, no percentage cap either. But as soon as you switch over to having a worship service, Bible study, these restrictions come in. So it's very clear what the governor is doing. He's restricting the free exercise of religion is unconstitutional. I would say, uh, wait for some few days. I think that we will get a good ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court, and you're not going to have to bow down yeah. to Governor uh, Newsom's dictatorship and his draconian orders. That's Matt, what my prayers, and I think that's where we're going.
0: Amen, Amen. Matt. With uh, with some of these shepherds, and and I'm this is assumption on my part. I, I haven't had a chance to communicate with them, and that's that's my fault, not theirs. Um, it, maybe, and I'm, again, I'm just assuming, but maybe they've got an elder board that, uh, is pushing towards this, uh, kind of meek approach to beg the county supervisors or the governor to allow them to move into the tier red zone. Um, maybe that, that, uh, elder board is concerned about liability and you kind of touched on that when you said there's just no possible way, uh, with, and we, and we know the, the severity of the virus, or I should say even the lack of severity of the virus for a a large portion of the population, but 65, 70 and older with comorbidities, that's, that's serious. And those folks need to stay home. And we've gone through all that. And and even with the censorship and the narrative of the press, most everybody's aware of that. At least I'd hope so. But these elders are probably concerned about liability. Uh, can you, you sage the concerns of the pastors and maybe even the elders so they can realize that this is not the approach they need to be making?
1: Yes, I don't think that there's any, I mean, that's not to say somebody can't sue you. They can sue anything that, that moves, but that doesn't mean you're going to uh uh, lose that case, uh, so I can't say you'll never get sued. You could be sued because somebody doesn't like you, and obviously we, we've encountered that with yeah, the
0: well, zoning. I've, I've issue enjoyed that, that
1: yeah. <laughs> that we just went through with your zoning issue. Somebody didn't want a church in uh, the former YMCA building. Well, you know, after
0: a few years of litigation, they lost that. So they can sue, but it doesn't mean they're going to win. That's the, uh, Matt. Matt, that's Matt. Congratulations on that, by the way. That that's that's two lawsuits that we've won, and you and Bob Tyler. You're, you're, you're awesome. So thank you for blessing God speak. And yeah.
1: Well, thank you. And, and Bob Tyler did a great job on that as well. But in this particular case, I don't think there's any ability to trace causally that you contracted COVID at this particular location. As I mentioned earlier, you know, the health uh, public departments say that they can't definitively trace this and there's no re no wonder why not just only COVID they can't trace any communicable disease to particular locations they have a very difficult time doing that Uh, whether it's uh, this kind of communicable disease such as the the virus here or you know h1n1 that we used to have and other things that we that we have different kinds of um, respiratory conditions you can't really trace and the reason is the only way you could do that is if somebody was in a bubble at home and they didn't even ride to church with some other person. They didn't get mail in their home. They didn't uh, order uh, material from Amazon.com. So nothing's coming into their home. Nobody's been in their home. And they ride in a bubble to church. And that's the only place they go. But then how are they going to get their food? So the problem is, is that nobody lives like that. You can't live like that. You're getting mail. You're getting Things into your home, you're opening packages from Amazon, you're going out to buy groceries in the store, you're going to the super centers, the Walmarts, the Kmarts, you're doing something like that. You may be eating outside, you may be walking on a sidewalk. So who knows where you got it? You cannot trace it to a church. Bottom line is churches and the elders, the pastors should have no concern that they would be liable for somebody who says, I got... COVID by attending your worship service. The the inability to be able to causally relate that is I think insurmountable.
0: We had we had Dr. Keith Rose on a couple of episodes back and also Dr. Simone Gold. And they both pointed out that the the most protected human being on the planet, planet, excuse me, is the President of the United States. Uh, and you can't go near him without a COVID test. Everyone yeah. gets a COVID test. He's, he's completely protected and yet still contracts COVID. Uh, yeah. it, it, the, the virus is going to do what the virus does. And, you know, we we know the severity of it and, and the, the portion of the population that's affected by it. And yet still they use it for political purposes to destroy and cause us to bow down. And they, you know, and bless the heart of these pastors, they do believe the church essential. Yeah. but they're yielding to tyranny.
1: Yeah, they're yielding to tyranny, and I would recommend that they not do that. And we do know a lot about uh, COVID. We don't know everything, of course, but we also know maybe it's uh, more contagious than some, but it's far less deadly than most any of the viruses that we've actually faced. Uh, And we know the risk zones, but for people under uh, those ages or don't have comorbidity that have decent health, the uh, fatality rate, the mortality rate is
0: very, point, very small. Point zero 0.05. <laughs> yeah. Very, very small. Matt, um, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's switch gears. Cause I know you're busy and you got to get rolling. I, um, I, and I, I so appreciate the insight and, and to know, but that by next week, uh, California churches, uh, could have a ruling where we're, we're free to, well, we've always been free. Yeah, but the Keep government here in this state is going to.
1: It's pending at the Supreme Court, so we yeah. we
0: may in a week
1: from now uh, have some very good news on this front.
0: That, that's 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 a joy to my heart, and I know it is to so many other pastors in the state. Uh, let's just real quick, if you don't if you don't mind, can you give us some comment from your legal perspective in regards to what's going on in say Pennsylvania and Georgia? Because uh, folks just, like, you, you, you'd you be hard-pressed to be able to find the ruling that happened in New York with the Supreme Court. I mean, I, they're just not covering it. Yeah. And the, the the legislative body in Pennsylvania was having hearings, and nobody was covering that. I mean, that was some good stuff. And we're seeing what's happening in Georgia and Pennsylvania, and people just can't find the news. It's almost as though it's been just absolutely shuttered. So yeah. you've had access to the complaints. You you know the legal process. You know many of these attorneys. Uh, you've worked with them. Tell us some of the strongest cases for the president, some of the weaker ones, how it looks in Georgia, how it looks in Pennsylvania, a- anything along those lines, if you would.
1: Well, I can I can tell you, as you mentioned, the media just has completely almost become like the Pravda media of the former USSR. It is a propaganda machine that does not report the truth and distorts the truth. It's terrible. It's worse than we could have ever imagined. So you're not going to find the truth or any kind of information about what's accurate out there through the typical media. But in Pennsylvania, as an example, I think a very strong argument there is that the state law is, uh, well, the state legislature is Republican and they did not extend the time for voting. And what we have there is the, um, Pennsylvania Supreme Court, on its own, extended the time for mail-in ballots uh, after November 3. Well, the state law says they have to be in by 8 p.m. Eastern time on November the third, Anything that comes in after that is not counted. Well, hundreds of thousands of, of these ballots were delivered after that time. When the polls closed, Trump was leading by several hundred thousand votes, a, a lead that there was just impossible to... Uh, make that up. And yet what happened is they made it up. And they did it after November 3 with these hundreds of thousands of ballots. Many of them were not in envelopes, so they couldn't even be traceable. They came in garbage cans and other kinds of unmarked um, uh, containers, and they were dumped in after hours. And we also know that, uh, that we weren't even allowed in Philadelphia. One of our attorneys was an official authorized observer. He was not allowed to actually observe the count. Uh, from November 3 on, and others for the Trump campaign, the GOP, they were all blocked out. Nobody was allowed in. If the media just reported on that one issue, there would be outrage. But that one case of whether or not you can extend the election when the legislature has the sole prerogative to set those times, and they said 8 p.m. November 3 is the deadline, that can't be just unilaterally extended by a court. That's a whole different a different branch of government that didn't have the authority to do it. That one issue alone at the U.S. Supreme Court could ultimately invalidate all these hundreds of thousands of mail-in ballots that came in after 8 p.m. on November the 3rd. And that's not a lot of uh, factual development. That's just a pure issue. Then you just have to locate those mail-in ballots. And in some of those cases the mail-in ballots have been segregated, Philadelphia did not. So we've got a problem there with that particular city, and that's the big Democratic stronghold. I think that's a very strong case. Now, we know, for example, something similar happened in Georgia. Sidney Powell has filed a complaint, 110 pages, I believe, with lots of exhibits. And uh, she has affidavit after affidavit talking about all these people witnessing the same thing in these different precincts. And what are they witnessing? They're witnessing... Uh, These hundreds of ballots, these large amounts, thousands of ballots coming in after the election, Uh, some of those are in the uh, Trump column or the Trump container, and these people are just taking them out and sticking them over into the Biden container and counting them as Biden votes, and they did that over and over and over again in precinct after precinct. I think uh, that is quite widespread in Georgia. We also know, for example, going back to Pennsylvania, in Antrim County, Pennsylvania, Dominion software was used, and that's where 6,000 votes that were for Trump were given over to Biden, and the only way that they found that is there was some manual review of an abnormality, and they found it, and so they reattributed them to Trump. But that's the Dominion software, and that's what is a major problem uh, right now of uh, 40 um Twenty-eight states, 40 percent of all the people who voted in the United States voted on Dominion Software. I've got an affidavit from a person who now lives in Texas, but was in Venezuela, when the Dominion software program with Smartmatic was actually developed, and he saw real-time it changing votes, not only for Hugo Chavez—that's what it was designed to do, to keep these dictators in power but also for Maduro, who was well behind his opponent, and Maduro was picked by the communist Marxist regime to be the, you know, they wanted him to win. And so he ordered the online reporting to shut down in the afternoon, two o'clock in the afternoon. Sounds very similar to what happened in these states, where the reporting just shut down. And then they reprogrammed the Smartmatic software, and then went back online, and he ended up, Making up a huge deficit and winning by 200,000 votes uh, across Venezuela. And it was because of the Smartmatic software that has been exported to other Marxist countries. It was used in the Philippines. It's been notorious for its problems there. The Manila Times has uh, indicated that it caused, quote, a lot of what they called glitches. We've heard the word glitches here in the United States. Uh, they blamed it on glitches. And he said, the Manila Times said nobody would want to use this software because it had, it was fraught with all of these irregularities. Well, how did Dominion connect with Smartmatic? Smartmatic, when they were in the Philippines, I believe it was in uh, 2013, they ended up, uh, or maybe a little earlier when they had that election, uh, Smartmatic asked Dominion to come in to help them. And so Smartmatic and Dominion worked together. Dominion then supposedly According to Smartmatic's lawsuit that they filed uh, not recently against Dominion, stole the Smartmatic software, and that became the operating system of Dominion. And that's what's used here in the United States by these Democratic uh, operatives who are controlling Dominion and are very much anti-Trump. So there's a, a big software issue, but there's some big irregularities. If you take Michigan, for example, one of our former attorneys who's now a law professor in Virginia, she graduated from high school in Michigan, And she heard about women who formerly lived there being registered under their maiden names. And lo and behold, she found that she was registered under her maiden name in the county where she lived until she moved out at the age of 17. So she never was registered in that county. That's where her parents live. And uh, she has been registered as a Democrat under her maiden name. She posted that information on social media. Other classmates, other female classmates, one who lives on the Air Force Base in Alaska, also found out she was registered in Michigan under her maiden name. Other female classmates that are still in Michigan are not so registered. So you can see there's a pattern trying to find women who no longer live in Michigan to register them under their maiden name and vote. And that's what happened. We also have discovered in going back to Pennsylvania, 1,601, get this. We heard stories about dead people on on the ballots, on the registration. Well, we did our own research. We found 1,601 people from the ages of 100 plus to 202 years of age registered to vote in Pennsylvania, These individuals have all uh, requested ballots. All of these that I'm talking about have requested mail in ballots, and almost every one of them returned the mail in ballots in time for the November 3 election. So they're not just registered, but they've requested ballots, and almost every one of them returned the mail in ballots as well. And that's in in Pennsylvania. We have firsthand information on that.
0: That's like. that's a biblical proportion. When the temple temple was torn, uh, when Jesus rose from the grave, and then the dead rose and wandered the streets. Uh, that's that's pretty. Uh, that's some pretty of these amazing.
1: People, uh, we're born in the eighteen hundreds.
0: Yeah, like I'd like
1: to go ask them some questions and get Two hundred and two some... years of age, and they requested a ballot. So you know, I wanted to find out. Well, are these people? Are these just bad lists that they just never cleaned up? But these are not only bad lists but they're active list of dead people because they're requesting mail-in ballots and they're returning the mail-in
0: ballots. That's just crazy. Yeah. Well, Matt, so uh, a, a strong case in Pennsylvania in regards to the fact that the legislature makes the laws, not the the state Supreme Court, and Justice right. Alito saw that. He shut it down. He said those ballots were not acceptable, and though they kind of threw them all into one pile so you couldn't, you know, tell what was what, um, there's, there's still a strong case in that regard in Pennsylvania uh, beyond what uh, Mayor Giuliani and Jenna Ellis and the others are putting together. That one's pretty strong. And then that's
1: pretty strong because yeah. that's a straight legal argument and doesn't have to go into all the facts and so yeah. forth. Straight legal argument. And Alito's already issued an order from the Supreme Court that all of those ballots that came in after November 3 at 8 p.m. have to be segregated. And the reason why he issued that order is because those are the ones subject to challenge, and they've already made a suggestion in some of their previous comments that that's unconstitutional to extend that time. So consequently, it is um, very uh, significant. And uh, that, that alone, that one decision alone, that one act alone, could change the outcome in Pennsylvania.
0: Well, uh, great insights, so appreciative, and especially given some uh, light on what the Supreme Court ruled uh, midnight on Wednesday, uh, the eve, I guess, of Thanksgiving. And, and Matt, we're, we're going to be on the edge of our seat uh, for next week uh, when Justice Kagan uh, moves in regards to your case and we'll be praying because we're all in this together and so yep. grateful for your tenacity and your your fervency to to see this resolved and, and to protect the First Amendment. Matt, you're a great friend and a blessing. And uh, if you don't mind, next week when we get news on that, we'll have you back yep. on and let everybody know where we are with this. Absolutely. i will be happy to do that. Well, I know you're busy, so I'll let you go, but God bless you and thank you for this last minute get together and uh, keep fighting the good fight and bless you, Matt. Oh, and one last thing tell everybody how they can uh, support Liberty Council. I I want them to know because you do what you're doing for on pro bono. Pro bono. Yeah, tell them, please. Well, you can
1: go to our website, Liberty Council's website, lc.org, lc.org is our website. So you can go there for more information. You can donate online as well, lc.org.
0: Well, keep it up, Matt. Bless you, and thank you for everything.
1: Thank you. God bless.
0: See ya well that the the great Matt staver uh, such a blessing to have him with us, and uh, you got some insights on the recent Supreme Court uh, ruling in new York what we 're facing here in California as early as next week uh, Justice kagan's going to have to put it to governor newsom he 's going to have to respond, and uh, all these churches are waiting on bated breath to find out if uh, the Supreme Court is going to well they will uh, continue to uphold the first amendment uh, we 've got a five to four ruling and Justice Roberts is no longer relevant. Um, just so tragic that that man could have, could have ruled according to the constitution as when he was going through the process, uh, when Bush put him up there and appointed him, he said he was a constitutionalist. That's, that's not what we've seen from the man. But uh, I am cautious, uh, cautiously optimistic. I am very cautiously optimistic. So stay the course, be encouraged, folks, and we'll keep you up to date. And I'm going to bless you with number six, and then we'll see you tomorrow. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So with that, we'll see you tomorrow. God bless you all. Good night.